The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, and we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 44, the verses 6 to 8. In connection with God's word as summarized in Lord's Day 34, regarding the first commandment, Isaiah 44, and you'll be able to find that on page 835 of your pew Bible. Isaiah 44, the verses 6 to 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. So far, the Word of God. We'll also read together from Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism, this summary of God's Word. And we'll be looking at the first commandment. And you'll be able to find that on page 550 of your Book of Praise. What is the law of the Lord? And here follows the Ten Commandments as we read them this morning from Exodus 20 to verses 1 to 17. How are these commandments divided into two parts? The first teaches us how to live in relation to God, and the second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against His will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Terror. That was what was on the hearts of every Israelite around the time of this prophecy, a little bit after 701 B.C. The Assyrian king Sennacherib's armies surrounded Jerusalem. They had raided and they had pillaged and they had plundered every step of the way and it seemed that they were an unstoppable force. Kingdom after kingdom had fallen before them. Nation after nation had cried out to their gods and their gods were not able to deliver them in the face of this mighty onslaught. 
And now they were at the walls of Israel's capital. And what did they say to the people of Israel? An envoy from Sennacherib rides up to the walls and he shouts to King Hezekiah the words of his king. Who was there among all the gods of these nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand? Which god of all of these nations could deliver them from me? And who are you to think that your God is any different? But he didn't just stop with talking to Hezekiah himself. We read in 2 Chronicles 32, verses 18 to 19, they call out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and to trouble them so that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem in the, way, in the same way that they had spoken against all of the gods of the nations that they had conquered up to this point in time. They saw him as no different from any other god. Miraculously, the Lord delivered his people in that day. Even in the face of that hostile force, we read in verse 20, now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria, and so he returned shamefaced to his own land. But even though, even though this king had been driven off, even though they had faced the powerful force and he had left ashamed the people of Israel were still terrified we read here do not fear nor be afraid the Hebrew word for afraid here means to be paralyzed with fear not to be able to do anything and they had reason to be frightened They still had the powerful nation of Assyria to the north. They still had the powerful nation of Egypt to the south. And all around them there were hostile enemies. And some of them began to think, well, these other nations are successful. Under their gods, they're they're powerful, they're strong. Sure, our God might have delivered us at that one point in time, but look at how big and mighty these other nations are in comparison with us. Maybe their gods are the reason for their success. They're wondering, can we escape our fearful position if we run away after these other gods? Well, in the face of this kind of talk, and in the face of this uncertainty, Isaiah responds to this fear. Don't turn to these other gods, he says. Don't look to them for a solution. Remember, who is your God? Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel. The Lord, here in capital letters again, this is the God who has laid claim to you, who has established a relationship with you. Don't be so quick to throw that aside. This is something that perhaps you young people in particular can think about as well today. You live in a world in which people are putting so much pressure, especially if you get out 
into perhaps a public school setting or even college and university to set this aside. He says, don't be so quick to set this relationship aside. He is the Lord. He is your covenant God. This is a relationship that he has with you. But more than that, he's your king. Because of this relationship, he's your king. You owe him your allegiance, Isaiah says to the people. You owe him your obedience. Don't go after other gods if you've already committed to him. More than that, he's your redeemer. A redeemer in Israel's day was a close relative, someone who had that family bond, who could ransom his family from incurred debts if they went into slavery. Or if they had to sell the family property, they had the first right to buy back the family property from the debtor. They were the ones who avenged murders that were committed against the family. This was your redeemer. The Lord has this relationship with his people. He is the redeemer. But more than that, he's also the Lord of hosts, Isaiah says. Yahweh of hosts. He is the one who has the power to back this up. Not just the relationship, but he has the power to back up what he says. Don't follow other gods, Isaiah says, but rather bear witness. There is no other God besides the Lord. Now at this point, Isaiah himself takes a step back. And the Lord begins to speak through Isaiah. And it's as if we've entered into a courtroom setting. To begin with, he calls the people to the witness stand. And he calls them to take a look at his record and to respond to that. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. I've been here since the dawn of creation. He declares, I've created every living thing and I will be here forever. I'm beyond time because I have created time. I am the first and I am the last. Who can compare with that? No one in Israel could. Their gods were all made up within time. Their gods were carved with hands. There's no comparison between a carved image, and the Lord of hosts. But he doesn't just stop there with declaring himself the Lord of history, the Lord of time, the one who is the first and the last. He goes on to give proof of his power over time, to give proof of the fact that he oversees all of time. And in light of that, he says, who can proclaim as I do? God had put in place specific prophecies in the past, and he's fulfilled them. He's brought them to pass. He's given promises, and he's fulfilled them. Who can do this in the same way, he asks. He gave his people a promise that he would watch over them and that he'd guide them throughout history, and he did. Look at the ancients, he says in verse 7. The ancients, these are Israel's own forefathers, 
says, let's see another God who has fulfilled his promises like I have to them. They are a living testimony. You can look back on your own history. They are a living testimony to the fact that I declare and it comes to pass. You only have to look back. I am God. Priests and prophets of other gods had made fuzzy promises in the past not being clear on anything specific and probably able to be applied to pretty much everything. Kind of like glorified fortune cookies. Isaiah, on the other hand, represents a different God. And you can see this as he goes on later on in the prophecy of Isaiah. He goes on to tell them about specific days, times, events, and even names that are going to come to pass. He speaks of Cyrus the Great who is going to rise up and rule and who's going to conquer. The people will be able to look at that. They'll be able to see that within their own lifetime. They'll be able to see it come to pass. Which other God is able to do this? They will be living as these prophecies come to pass. These prophecies, by the way, are so specific that there are theologians who have looked at this who do not believe in prophecy. And they say, you know what, the second half of Isaiah, it's much too accurate. And therefore, it must have been written after the fact. But no, it's in the same voice as Isaiah. It's in the same style as the prophet Isaiah. And the first half of the prophecy of Isaiah, there's no question about when it came to pass. He is speaking of a future event, and he speaks about it with such specificity. He speaks about it so specifically that there is no question about the fact that he is God. Who else can proclaim as I do and have it come to pass? Let these other gods show you what's coming, God says. Let them show these to them. Test them. They can't measure up. Of course they can't measure up because they're not gods. Which other god can compare to this god, to our god? No other god can. So he says to his people, do not fear. Do not be afraid. God's told you in the past what's going to happen, and it has come to pass. You can see from his track record that his promises are fulfilled and his prophecies have come to pass. And if God had such a firm control over history in the past, what leads you to fear, people of God? What leads you to be afraid? Is it going to be any different in the future? Will it be any different? If that was true for Israel then, if Isaiah was able to say that to the people of Israel then, how much more true is it for us today? What leads you to fear, beloved? What leads you to be afraid? We can have so much uncertainty when it comes to the future. 
Who will I marry? Will I ever find someone? Will my job be consistent? Or will I lose it? Maybe I have lost my job security. Will I ever find stability again? My marriage is rocky. Will I ever find stability there again? And sometimes we can be tempted to make unwise and ungodly decisions when we face this kind of uncertainty. To fill our time, in the meanwhile, we go to other gods. In uncertainty, in a relationship, some satisfy themselves in the interlude with pornography or in the arms of another. In uncertain times, some find comfort in drugs or alcohol. In financial instability, or even when things do finally become financially stable, some try to find their security in increasing their wealth ever more so that they will never be that insecure again. And materialism, building up financial stability, that is what we focus on. That is our pursuit in the world. But these and more are the gods of the world. And the world says, where is God in this? The gods of the world seem to be helping other people. They seem to be doing fine, and it seems to be giving them temporary relief. In fact, in some cases, they even seem to be having more fun than the people of God. But they aren't really gods. We might set them up as gods, but they're not really gods. There is only one true God. God who is faithful. God who has said and it has come to pass. God to whom we will one day have to give account. The ancients bore witness to this for Israel in Isaiah's day. Israel bears witness to this for us today. Their words are written down here for us today. Here is the record of the Lord's faithfulness. Here is the record of His divinity. Here is the proof that His promises have come to pass. Israel was His witness. Is there a God besides Him? Verse 8, there is no other God. There's no other rock like Him. I know not one. You know this, Isaiah says. He's brought this to mind for them, and he says, you know this. Now, you are in the witness stand. Bear witness to this. And do not fear. Because just as you know that he is God, that he is the one who is in control and he has this overarching view of history, so also you know that he is the Lord. He is Yahweh, your covenant God, the one who has a relationship with his people. He is the one who watches over his people, even to the point of cutting down armies where necessary. He's in control. So do not fear. Do not be afraid. 
if he's been gathering, defending, and preserving for himself a people, watching over them throughout all of history, even to today, why should he not continue to do this for his people? Are you holding back from putting your trust in him today? Why? Because things seem so good in the moment? Because these other things seem to satisfy? He is the true God. He is the only God. There is no other God. There is no other rock. Have you put your trust in him? Then today, beloved, we are called to stand as witnesses as well. We are called to stand in the box and we are called to bear witness to his faithfulness. Past, present, and to a hopeful future as well. There is no God like our God. And today, as we bear witness here, we confess there is no God like our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, named in Revelation 1 verse 8 as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come, the Almighty. Look on the past. He redeems you. Christ came into the world to save his people from their sins. Did he not accomplish what he set out to do? Are we not celebrating what he has done here today? And this is good news for us. Not just sweeping under the carpet. Sins not hanging over your head that might be found out by him one day down the road. In Christ, they are all laid bare and they are all paid for. Look to the present. Nothing will compare to our God. In Christianity, we stand as unique in the world. Our God has come to earth and he's paid for sin on our behalf. It doesn't ride on our good behavior, but rather his righteousness and eternity is ours through faith in Christ. So now look to the future. You are his witnesses. Continue to ride on that, to lean on that as you move forward. Has he not already given you everything you need up to this point? Is there any other God who can compare? As Isaiah said, there is no other God. There is no other rock. I know not one. Bear witness to his faithfulness in the past. Bear witness by the confidence in which you stand in the present on the promises of God. And bear witness by resting on the promise that in Christ you do stand as righteous before God. Bear witness by the confidence with which you face the future, beloved. Knowing that the Lord who leads you is the one who guides you through its uncertainty. 
and bear witness by looking ahead to that final day when no matter what difficulty strikes you on this earth, no matter what uncertainty you live through on this earth, you have this firm joy that lies ahead in store for you. You have eternity that lies ahead of you. Amen.